What is up, movie friends? Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast. I'm Anthony. And I'm James, and this is episode 51. We are going to be doing Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman 1984, which we just watched on Christmas Day, which we really enjoyed. Um, I love the original Wonder Woman. It's one of my favorite DCEU films post-Dark Knight trilogy era, of course, because we're talking about different universes here, so they're not related at all. But besides Man of Steel, this is probably my second favorite film from this entire um, side of that comic book world. Yeah, I also love Man of Steel, but for the most part, most fans don't really enjoy the film. Um, and so I think that Wonder Woman, the first film in 2017, was probably the most important film in the DCE universe by far because it brought back the DC's reputation from the dead because uh, the failures of Justice League and Batman v Superman um, and Man of Steel critically, um, they, it was just uh, DC was going down a, a downwards path. And fans weren't happy with it. Um, general movie-going audiences weren't happy with DC. So Wonder Woman set the stage for uh, the potential DC had to make great films. And it brought people to give DC another chance again. Yeah, and we talked about that extensively in our Marvel vs. DC episode about in terms of the film franchises, who's doing better, which movies are the best. And we talked about how Wonder Woman, again, like you just said, brought DC back to the realm of critical and financial success um, because they had, were they were trying to live up to that Dark Knight trilogy, the, the dark vibe. Because obviously Marvel is very successful, and they go for the for the brightness and the uh, jokes and the quirkiness, but also incredible action, always well lit too. Whereas uh, DC went for these this dark route, this dark humor. Um, I mean, Man of Steel. There's some intense scenes of of citywide destruction that a lot of people didn't really like, and so I think Wonder Woman brought the darkness that DC wanted that we saw in Man of Steel, but also more human more human characters and better humor and more relatable stories. Yeah, good point, because with their films, they want to set themselves apart from Marvel, so they often shoot their films. I think all of them so far have been actually shot on film, and they do have a darker aesthetic and a grittiness to them and a desaturated color palette compared to the very colorful Marvel films. So um, they visually set, them, set their movies apart from the Marvel films, and... Uh, they are uh, a grittier in tone, and I think the first Wonder Woman, um, it combined both that tone with uh, humor and levity and uh, great character work, and uh, setting it in World War One was, uh, was a great way to tell the story. And it's kind of nuts that this was the first like studio-backed, official, big-budget blockbuster Wonder Woman movie ever made. And, I mean, we saw Batman and Superman done, what, like, 15 times total between the last since the 1970s so they yeah. got a ton of film adaptations obviously the the 1970s wonder woman show was a big success starring linda carter who's the most famous person to play wonder woman besides gal gadot obviously but i thought it was this movie probably should have been made a decade sooner um but i think and it was also the first female-led blockbuster superhero movie since electra which starred um, Jennifer, Jennifer Garner, Garner, which was a spinoff basically of Daredevil, and that was a, a box office bomb and critical bomb. The reason why uh, studios were afraid to make female-led um, superhero films because of the performance of both Elektra and the Catwoman starring Harry and Catwoman starring Halle Berry. Right, yeah, because, that bomb too. I mean, yes, the movies themselves they could have been better, which would have helped, but ultimately. Uh, the, the both those films absolutely bombed at the box office they they lost a lot of money for the studios and so um, while that was happening the the, the male-led movies like spider-man and Batmans and 
then eventually the, the Marvel movies, they were making a ton of money. And so studios felt that it was a, a better bet to to go with the male-led films. And I think what they what they didn't understand was the re- I think the reason why Catwoman, the Halle Berry one, and Elektra didn't work was because the stories weren't good. Yeah. The films weren't good. I don't think they gave it the the, the seriousness they should have given it in terms of trying to make a good movie. Because it was, it was the mid-2000s, early 2000s, and superheroes weren't as prevalent as they are now. And they weren't as high quality on a consistent basis. All we had were the Spider-Man movies, which are all great. And so there was no, really no basis for it. And... Um, they, I think, studios a, a, approached it as you know, it's Catwoman. It's gonna make money, whatever. Let's just throw money at it and just whatever they do, it doesn't money, matter. Money, Halle Berry. Yeah, we'll little. market it. It's yeah. gonna be great. Whereas nowadays, uh, they're much more wise to hire great writers and filmmakers. Like a lot, a lot of these filmmakers that are making these superhero movies are excellent directors, um, Oscar caliber directors and writers. So uh, I think they learned that uh, it wasn't that audiences didn't want to see these movies. It's that they had to make them good. Yeah, and I think Zack Snyder played a huge role not only in the DC universe and in, in kind of uh, arcing out these storylines. You could say he's like projects. the Feige of DC. Yeah, basically. So yeah, Snyder, he's the one who got Patty Jenkins hired to direct. He's the one that basically cast Gal Gadot. He cast all of the Justice League. And so yeah. he and he also wrote the story for Wonder Woman. So with somebody else, but this guy is a legend and he's really a, a huge factor. His and, wife too. And I think why yeah, she's a producer. Deborah Snyder. Yeah, she produces all his movies and why the original Wonder Woman was so great because he got the right people to tell the story. Exactly. And Patty Jenkins is a, an excellent director. Her first feature film that she directed was Monster, starring Charlize Theron. Um, and it, that's an amazing movie about a serial killer. And um, since then, she hadn't really done any films. She was doing a lot of TV, like she did um, some Game of Thrones episodes. She's yeah. actually originally attached to direct. She, she was, so she was attached to direct Wonder Woman in the mid-2000s, um, but the movie fell apart because of her pregnancy. And also, I think the performance of Elektra scared DC from wanting to do another one because I think that was the next one up after if Elektra did well this would have been made 10 years ago Mm -hmm. but obviously that happened and so Patty Jenkins um, after making Monster instead she stuck with TV for a while and she actually directed the pilot of The Killing which is a great um, oh I love that show yeah direct it's a great detective drama that was on AMC Um, so she has had uh, a heavy hand in directing a lot of great television and then when this file when this project was finally coming back into fruition I think that it was a no-brainer to go right back to Patty Jenkins. This episode was brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off your order and free shipping today using coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout. Again, Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Manscaped has been awesome. They've sent us a ton of their products. These are great essentials for all the men in your life. They send us their their lawnmower, which is the best clippers, trimmers I've ever used in my life. They're, They're waterproof. It has a flashlight on it. Their weed whacker, their, they've sent us all their deodorizers, their colognes, their t-shirts, their boxer briefs. Everything is so legit. Grooming is a necessary part of life, everybody. We know this. We can't avoid it. Get something from manscaped.com today. 20% off your order and free shipping using our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout from manscaped.com. Yeah, and Gal Gadot, she was obviously perfect as Wonder Woman. It seems to be like a, a born-to-be kind of role, and... She got the part shortly after she decided to basically give up on acting, and she, you know, she was in movies, but a lot. She was in the Fast and Furious, yeah, but but, like not lead, nothing major, and she was. I think she was gonna just go back and move back to Israel and just live her life. However, um, she was invited for a screen test by Zack Snyder for a role in film that. 
He didn't tell her what it was. She had no idea what it was for, but you know, she kind of took this audition as like a, this is my last attempt at major roles. And after this, if it doesn't go well, I'll just go move back to Israel and, and you know, follow my life there. And um, so she screen tested largely by reading relatively anonymous dialogue. Um, again, no idea what the project was for. And then she received a callback eventually that she was on the shortlist to play Wonder Woman in a DC film adaptation. And obviously she was floored by the idea that she could potentially play this this iconic superhero, which again, iconic, is as iconic as Superman, as iconic as Batman, but for some reason forgotten over the last four decades, really, in terms of TV and film adaptations. I had never seen Gal Gadot in anything because I, had, I haven't seen the last um, five or four Fast and Furious movies, and I think she became... Part of the supporting cast at in five. Yeah, maybe? That's, I've seen her in Fast Five. She's yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and and I so I have never seen her in anything before. I saw her in Wonder Woman. So I was um, taken aback that she she has a great um, confidence and in, in charisma and personality, and she's uh, I think a perfect choice for Diana Prince. And it was very smart of the producers to cast a foreign actress because I think having an American actress uh, with an American accent wouldn't have fit. For someone who grew up on an isolated island away from any other culture. And so it made sense to cast a foreigner. Yeah, and I know, I think Kobe Smulders was also in the top four running for uh, being Wonder Woman. You re you'll remember her from Avengers, obviously, and How I Met Your Mother. And she's a really good actress, but I don't think she could have carried the prowess and that, like like you just said, like impossible charisma and this this highly inquisitive character the way that Gal Gadot ha does because she's so good as Diana Prince. I really like Thor in Marvel because I'm a big fan of Greek mythology, ancient Roman mythology, and, and history. And so I love when those ideas and concepts and characters make their way into superhero films because it's a cool way for uh, people to see um, depictions of those characters on a big screen which doesn't really happen too much except for like Clash of the Titans. Um, and so I love this film, especially because uh, Gal Gadot is part um, god and she's the daughter of Zeus. And so it has that Greek mythology uh, uh, color to it. And uh, it's a fantastic uh, introduction to the film when they tell this backstory of how um, of the of the creation of the Amazons and, and how she was born and, and how uh, Ares... Uh, began a war with other with the other gods and Zeus uh, stopped him but um, left a god killer weapon on earth to protect mankind and so I really love when anything like uh, mythological stories enter to a contemporary film I completely agree I'm obsessed with like deities and Greek mythology and those stories are so fascinating mm -hmm. and um, just to stay on that topic, you mind if I give a little background on Wonder Woman in general as a character? Go for it, man. So Wonder Woman is a DC superhero and founding member of the Justice League. Her first comic book appearance was in 1941. She was created by William Molston Marston. In her homeland, the island nation of Themyscira, her official title is Princess Diana. When blending into society outside of her homeland, she adopts her civilian alter eagle, Diana Prince. Wonder Woman was sculpted from clay by her mother, Queen Hippolyta. It was given life to live as an Amazon, along with superhuman powers as gifts by the Greek gods. In recent years, DC changed her background that she's d the daughter of Zeus and Hippolyta. Similar to Captain America, Wonder Woman was created during World War II and was shown fighting Axis forces. And the movie takes place, though, in World War I, so there are no Nazis, they're just Germans. Wonder Woman's powers include being a masterful athlete, acrobat, and fire, superhuman speed and strength, nigh invulnerability, flight, and semi-immortality. Her tools include her Amazon bracelets, which she uses as defense weapons to, like stopping bullets, her golden lasso, and her star tiara. 
And I think uh, Gal Gadot in person already possesses a lot of the qualities that you would expect of of Diana and Wonder Woman. So she exudes just this power that Wonder Woman needs. And, and she's from Israel. Yeah. And uh, all Israeli citizens have to enter the military for, I think, one to two years or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's a requirement. So she does have uh, combat experience, which I think is important, and training. Also in South Korea. Oh, interesting. And I love the, uh, I like the design of Wonder Woman in this film because um, she's much less sexualized. Uh, like her chest is covered up by her suit and she doesn't wear high heels in this. She just wears boots and um, it's it still harkens back to the costumes we're familiar with because, but it is, uh, I think, less sexualized for the better. And I like that her costume, not like Superman being cloth or fabric, it's actually like armor and it's, yeah. it's, it's metallic or steel. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really cool part of it too. Yeah, 100%. Should we get into the movie, the first one? Let's do it, man. All right, let's get into Wonder Woman, which was released in 2017, directed by Patty Jenkins, written by Alan Heinberg, story by Zack Snyder, Alan Heinberg, and Jason Fuchs. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's how you say his name. <laughs> this film stars Gal Gadot, Chris Pine, Connie Nielsen, Robin Wright, and Danny Houston. This film had a budget of $149 million and had a worldwide box office of $821 million. Before she was Wonder Woman, she was Diana, Princess of the Amazons, a trained warrior in the sheltered Amazon island of Themyscira. In 1918, when the American pilot Steve Trevor crashes offshore and tells Diana about World War I and the conflict in the outside world, she leaves home to embark on a journey to end all wars, discovering her full powers and true destiny. If you like our podcast and want to help support us, the best thing you can do is subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us, and hit notification bells on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, leaving us five-star reviews, supporting us on Patreon. Patrons get special perks like personalized videos, messages, sneak peeks, and a monthly shout-out on the podcast. We're growing mostly word of mouth, so please, please, please tell your movie friends about us. Tell people who are just semi-interested in movies about us. It's a great podcast, I think, for people with long drives, working out, you need something new to listen to. Show them Raiders of the Lost podcast. We'll be eternally grateful. And as always, spoilers are abound. My guess as to why they set this during World War I instead of two, like the comics, is probably to separate it from Captain America, the first Avenger. I agree. Because then people would want to draw too many comparisons, so I think it was smart to change the war. Which was all, World War One was also an incredibly destructive war across the world, and I think it's a great. I love period pieces. Most of my favorite movies are period pieces, and so if you if you combine a superhero movie with a period piece, it's just I'm in heaven, honestly. Yeah, and I mean, it's pretty does a good job uh, depicting World War One in terms of not maybe historical accuracies, but also but obviously like in that feeling like you're part of that world in those battles with those soldiers in those trenches. Uh, the weaponry, the the stakes, the global uh, tragedy that it was, and Diana being kind of thrown into that atmosphere as never hearing anything about it ever because she existed in this separate island that was protected. I really love the the world of Themyscira with all the Amazons, and I think it's a, a fascinating uh, little story um, about Diana's upbringing and how she was raised by her mother initially to be protected um, and away and always and, and meant to be away from harm but then um, she's convinced to allow Diana to begin training her mother's hiding something from her in the audience and because of this she asks for Diana to be trained harder than any other Amazonian warrior before her yeah because she's she wants to be a warrior because she's surrounded by these incredibly strong women in these 
these Amazon warriors, these, and she's a princess, and her mother is the most fierce warrior of them all, but she's also the most protective of them all because she doesn't want her Diana to co get, come into any harm, and she knows that she has this destiny of, of she is, you know, eventually going to become, spoiler alerts, the god killer herself, and she's training secretly with her aunt Antiope, and when her mother finds them training, she's obviously hurt by the betrayal, but then Antiope... Uh, real makes her realize that the best way to protect Diana is to train her and to make her a warrior. And because she now understands this, um, her mother instructs her to train her harder than any other Amazonian woman before her. Yeah, because of who she is, it's inevitable that eventually Diana is going to have to uh, defend the world from some kind of evil force. It doesn't that it's not going to happen tomorrow, but it will happen someday. So she needs to be ready. And since she is the God Killer. She is the only person. She is the only being on Earth who can actually stop Ares when he finally comes into power again. And it's only natural for a mother to want to protect her daughter or her child. And you know, you—it's like you, it's you, like you Sarah Connor and John Connor. You like, get it. She, like she's like it, he's destined to to be try and be killed by greater forces, and so he needs to be protected. Yeah. So you can either hide them from it forever or make them ready to face those challenges, which is obviously the correct decision to do. And again, Gal, Gal Gadot, she. She inhabits this mix of like curiosity as this child. She's different from all the other Amazons. They all know it too. They treat her differently. And she is a princess. But I think one of the great strengths that define Wonder Woman, the character, besides her superhuman abilities and strength and speed, is her compassion. And this is obviously one of the reasons why she goes to save Steve Trevor and goes out to save the entire world eventually. Because when you when you think about the movie, it's like how does she get mixed up with the the conflicts of mankind, and so it was a great way to have Steve Trevor just crash into her island, not out of an accident, but because he was escaping uh, enemy forces that were uh, attacking him, and it's a, it's a cute funny scene when he washes ashore after she saves his life from drowning. And she just says, you're a man. He's like, do I not look like one? <laughs> <laughs> and Chris Pine's perfect as Steve Trevor. He's so funny. He's charming. He's got the bluest eyes I've ever seen. And like, Except for our father. Oh, yeah. His dad's got pretty blue eyes, too. But he just exudes this character perfectly. And it's a great contrast with the sharp humor to Wonder Woman and Diana's highly inquisitive personality. I think it was a very modest decision for Chris Pine to take this role because he's not the superhero in the in the superhero movie, and he's a big star. I'm sure there are plenty of superheroes he could have played in the past, and especially now, after being in Star Trek, he's he's a big name, so he could have eventually waited to become a big superhero. But I think it was a, a, a really admirable decision to take the co-lead in this movie because essentially in this film, uh, they take they wisely take the, the gender roles that we typically see in these movies, and they swap them. And so uh, Chris Pine kind of becomes the damsel in distress. The dude in distress. Yeah, the dude in distress. Chris Pine gets his take, clothes take, has to take his clothes off in this movie, and Chris Pine is, the, uh, is like the sidekick. He's not the leader. He's helping Diana, and she's the real lead, and she's the one who, who controls the story and the plot. And he's trying to stop her from doing dangerous things rather than vice versa. Yeah. And obviously, Patty Jenkins was very aware of what she was doing. And this was all done on purpose, basically, to basically, let's strip down Chris Pine. And that's actually a very funny scene where he's like, I'm above average. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, she's talking about his size. She's like, you let that little thing control you. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so obviously we f- we're flash forward to her as an adult and she saves Trevor, but then Trevor is followed by German soldiers. And again, this isn't World War II. These are not Nazis yet. So this is just the German uh, forces in World War One who are chasing down Steve Trevor. And we have this epic battle on the beach between these fierce Amazon woman warriors. And you've been, we were watching them train. We were watching Diana train. And now we get to actually see them fight. And holy crap, they tear these Germans apart. And How they it, have guns. Yeah, and, she, and they wipe them out. Yeah, and they have their horses and, and their yeah. weapons. But again, they destroy these Germans. But unfortunately, Antiope dies when she takes a bullet, sacrificing herself to protect Diana. I'm not. I, when I saw this fight scene, I thought it was it was it was so exhilarating and it was so exciting because you had never seen anything like it. Like a group of women taking on a group of men with with weapon with uh, with guns and Superior artillery. Weaponry. And, it, and they just dominated the battlefield. And I thought it was a extremely exciting battle sequence. Yeah, but unfortunately, it ends in a, in a sad way. It ends in tragedy, yeah. Um, but again, Robin Wright is one of the best parts of this movie. And the second one, too. She's so fantastic as uh, Antiope. She's went Great through actress. intense training, obviously, because she's in incredible shape. Obviously, Gal Gadot did, too. She did, like, six months of intense training, too. But Robin Wright is fierce in this in this movie in both movies actually and she's an incredible actor she would have been a superhero if she was if they were making superheroes of age, in yeah. the 90s yeah so yeah. If she was uh in the, her like 30s now she def- yeah. definitely probably would be wonder woman who knows yeah um and then we have this interrogation scene with the lasso of truth and the interesting thing about the lasso of truth is that william moulton marston the creator of wonder woman also invented the lie detector test and so the lasso of truth is sort of like his an homage to his own invention and it appears throughout the comic book movies, the series, and then we see it in both movies. And it compels those in it trapped to tell the truth. Imagine me and that ki- that guy's kids. <laughs> it's like he's, meet the parents times every, 100. He must, he must always have been questioning them and trying to point out their lies. Did you eat the last cookie? <laughs> Let me wrap you in my lasso of truth. <laughs> but from this, we learn that Steve is a spy and he infiltrated German soldiers and a base to steal plans from an evil scientist that works for the Germans, um, Dr. Maru, who's also Dr. Poison, and she's inventing this incredibly dan- um, incredibly powerful form of mustard gas that they're obviously trying to weaponize and, and control the world with and obviously kill mass, mass amounts of people. And uh, that's what led him cha- being chased by Germans on the ocean in, his, in a plane um and crash land into this island which was invisible to human eye but you can pass through its uh enchantment just willingly Mm -hmm. this episode of raiders of the lost podcast is sponsored by movieposters.com use our coupon code raiders 15 to get 15 percent off your order today don't go on amazon to get your movie posters go to movieposters.com it's the number one site to get your posters online high quality very affordable prices Posters for pretty much any movie you can think of, framing, backlighting, glass, whatever you want, movieposters.com can handle it. Use our special coupon code RAIDERS15 to get 15% off your order today. Again, RAIDERS15 on movieposters.com. And Dr. Poison is uh, uh, being led by General Eric Ludendorff, who's played by Danny Houston. He's really great in this movie. And he is the one who's really pulling the strings here, and he's the one who wants to turn this um, new poison into a, a weaponized uh, piece of artillery to use in the war to help uh, the Germans win the war. And it, it's it, he is ultimately uh, 
for the most part, the main villain of the movie to a certain extent. Yeah, and so Diana and Steve embark on a mission basically to end the war of all wars. And the thing is, um, Diana's mother doesn't want her to go and get involved. And so she she actually goes in secret and she steals both the God Killer sword and the armor, um, which she'll eventually wear. And so she leaves at the behest of her mother. And they embark on this journey and we get Diana in the real world, in the modern world. And it's, it's really fun because it's almost kind of like, it's very playful and funny, kind of mm-hmm. like Elf getting into New York for the first time. <laughs> yeah. That's the kind of vibe I get for her. But yeah. obviously, I think it's, it's done a lot better. And I think one of my favorite, the funniest scene I think in the movie is when she tries ice cream for the first time at that train station. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh my God, this is amazing. You should be very proud because she's never tasted anything <laughs> like it she before. She thinks that like they made it yeah. and no one else has it. Yeah, so it's, it's really funny. And yeah. she's, she's such a great uh, comedic actress with this subtle comedy. Yeah, and I really like uh, first the, the costume scene where she's trying on different outfits about what to wear and it's a fun little play on on costume design and then also that scene in the alleyway where um they're attacked by those men with uh pistols in um we uh this is the first time steve trevor gets to see her in action and she at first he he tries to be the guy who like takes charge and and protects her but she ends up being his protector in the fight and defends him from from the bad guys and this entire sequence is actually like homage to the original superman where um, Clark Kent is like first introduced to humanity and in and, and, and Metropolis and he's got the, the suit and the glasses and the hat. He stops a robbery. Same hat. Yeah, same hat. He stops a, a armed robbery. So it's actually almost scene for scene an exact remake of that of that movie. Yeah, it's very cute. Just that section. And so the the reason why Diana left Demisira to go with Trevor is because she believes that um that Ares, the god of war, who originally um, killed most of the gods except for Zeus, who he left mortally wounded. Yeah, and left mortally wounded. She thinks that Ares is growing into power again, and he's the cause of this war. And so she is setting out with Steve to to find Ares and and kill him. And I think it's so cool to have Ares as the main villain in this movie because generally you get like the the heads of of the deities who are going against each other, like Clash of the Titans, it's Hades. I don't or, even think Ares is in it, or even yeah. the, or like the devil, or or just like the the head honcho. But Ares, he's he's obviously a very powerful god, but he's not the main god of like the underworld. He's just the god of war, which yeah. is really cool to see. Rather than obviously again like Hades, he actually was a, a villainous god, and uh, he enjoyed uh, death and causing death, and and that's why he encouraged men to war with themselves. And they try to bring this information that Steve got to high command, and obviously. We get a lot of um, glass ceiling kind of themes here where no one wants to listen to this woman. No one thinks that she's intellectually um, on par with them, so they kind of just shun her, and they take the information that her and Steve bring with a grain of salt. And this leads them to being aided by Sir Patrick Morgan, played by David Thewlis, who's uh, Professor Lupin from Harry Potter. And he's such a great actor, and he's a very underrated actor, I think. Underrated actor alert. <laughs> and um, I love him in this movie. And he, you know, kind of becomes like their their secret kind of uh, a commanding ally. officer, an ally. And yeah. he funds them for like a couple of days and gives them enough the money for a campaign. Yeah, to to round up some some troops and get like a little squad going to to get into the war and to go find Ares and try to stop the war and try to stop the general and Dr. Poison. Yeah, and Morgan seems like a, a really great guy who, who seems to believe Diana and... Um, respect her, unlike the other superior officers in the in the area, and uh, 
with the money from Morgan, they're able to round up this this motley crew, motley crew of guys. They all have a different specialty, and uh, it's a, a pretty cute group. Uh, they they're all very colorful characters and and very interesting personalities, and they all uh, they all all their personalities clash in a fun way. So I think uh, they did a good job casting this film. And we eventually get to this amazing scene where we finally get to see great Wonder Woman action, not just Wonder Woman action, but some of the best action we had seen up to this date in superhero and comic book films. And this the scene of No Man's Land, where there's just the the trenches that are facing each other of the German forces and the American soldiers. And that no one can get past. There's about there's about like 200 feet in between them. Yeah, they yeah. can't move a, even an inch to get superior position because the the gunfire and the and the the amount of officers on the other side and the soldiers on the other side. And ironically, this is no man's land, but a woman is about to traverse this entire thing and make it across and stop these German soldiers. And it's a really epic scene. It's incredible action. The stakes are really high. And we ne- we hadn't really seen Diana going up against tremendous gunfire before yet. Yeah, and on top of that, it's not something she has to do. It's something she's doing just because it's the right thing because uh, it's not part of their mission and they can actually uh, traverse around this area. They don't have to move through no man's land. And the reason why she's doing this is because um, if the enemy forces in, um, move any further, they're going to destroy the village that um, is, is behind them. And so um, she, she goes into no man's land to take out these enemy forces to save a village that isn't part of their mission. And it is a, a fantastic action sequence, fa- excellent use of slow motion and special effects. And you can really see finally um, Diana at her at her fullest potential and when she takes off that cloak and we see her in the Wonder Woman outfit. It's just, it's, it gives you goosebumps when she steps onto the front and it's an amazing sequence, not just when she traverses No Man's Land, but then when she enters the village and, and starts fighting the soldiers and especially in that, that bell tower when she... Uh, she literally like knee kicks a guy through the wall it's an excellent excellent scene yeah it kind of reminds me of saving private ryan where they take out that gun that they don't have to it's not part of their mission but it's the right thing to do and again they could avoid it like you said but she has her compassion driving her rather than uh, revenge and wanting to stop the war so she cares more about innocent people really exactly and then this is after they save this village there's a, a nice uh quiet uh moment of like five minutes or so where the characters get to to rest for a night and and uh diana and steve they they get it on yeah i mean yeah, they get it on big it's a, time it's a good looking couple right yeah there. it's not, a handsome couple say. yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's bound to happen <laughs> they're both too attractive and then they learn that there's going to be a gala with a german high command at it uh nearby and so they decide to infiltrate the party and they steve and diana have different missions diana uh, is it, her intention is to find Ludendorff to kill him with the God Killer Sword and because then, she believes he's Ares. She believes that uh, Ludendorff is Ares, and then Steve is going uh, to try to infiltrate uh, via Doctor Poison and try to find the mustard gas and destroy it, and try to find the weapon. Yeah, and then when she gets there, she does find Ludendorff, and they have that little um, intense dance, and um, she's got that sword in her back, and it's a giant sword. Out. <laughs> <laughs> they had it, she hides it pretty yeah, well. In she the dress. it pretty well. And um, she wants to kill him, but then Steve stops him. Steve stops her because it risks jeopardizing the overall mission, which is to find the gas and stop it and destroy the lab it's, where it's being pro- produced. And, and then in doing so, Ludendorff releases gas on a nearby village, which kills all the people in the village they just saved. And because of this, Diana blames Steve for allowing it to happen. Yeah, it kind of just kind of ruins their relationship for a moment. And Diana then pursues Ludendorff 
to the base where the gas is being loaded into this giant aircraft that I think they're just going to use to bomb cities with. Yeah. And we have a pretty epic fight with Diana versus Ludendorff because Ludendorff has been using this supplement or this like I guess it's like superhuman steroids. I think it's like an like it's similar to the Captain America serum. Yeah, just like a smaller yeah. dose that gives him super strength for a limited amount of time. And he takes these and it's like a pill he cracks and, and inhales and it makes him almost equal to strength in as Wonder Woman. But she eventually destroys and kills Ludendorff, but it doesn't stop the war. And she we find out that he's not Ares. While this is happening, Steve is and Steve and the crew are infiltrating the 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 base as well to um, try and stop the plane from taking off and then as this is happening I'll confuse Diana is is uh, trying to understand why um, it killing Ludendorff didn't work and then Sir Patrick Morgan shows up and reveals that uh, he's actually Ares yeah I love this because it it gets as the audience member you're like wait how, how he's not the bad guy like we, she just killed him mm-hmm. and then we get Morgan revealing that he's Ares and he has a great dialogue explaining everything to her. At first, it's shocking because he helped them and gave them money and funding and seemed to to want to help stop the war. And in, in that conference, he was talking about bringing about peace however they can to the other superiors. And so um, ultimately, he was actually performing the best uh, form of uh, the best disguise possible by alluding to peace because his philosophy is that uh, mankind will destroy themselves. He, they don't need him to do it for them, and he just l- uses them like pawns and and puts ideas and and, and concepts into their minds. And because he believes that mankind is in, inherently evil, so they will destroy themselves. Yeah. So he just whispers in the airs of humans to push them along the right paths that he wants them to take to create mayhem and war. Mm-hmm. And she tries to kill him with the God Killer sword, but. It goes right through his hand and disintegrates the sword. And then it's a great line where he reveals to her that that was not the god killer, Diana. He tells her that she's the god killer. She was the weapon that Zeus created to save humanity from Ares. Ares eventually tries to persuade Diana to help him destroy mankind in order to restore this supposedly perfect paradise. And he takes her in this vision of this green, beautiful, lush earth. And she realizes that she can never, ever be a part of something like that. Steve hijacks the bomber plane that's carrying the poison, and then and Diana tries to stop Steve from going on the suicide sacrifice mission of destroying the mustard gas in the plane in the air. But she, but he explains to her that the war in the world is more important than him, and that he can save today, but she can save the world. And so they, this, both of these acts need to happen. And their battle is really great. And uh, you can see the full effect of Ares' power. And then uh, Diana, I think she still is learning what she's capable of because she's never been in a situation like this. And so she's, I think she's kind of learning what her powers are as the as the fight ensues. And Ares is terrifying. He gets that crazy like armor and this yeah. new suit. And he's enormous and he seems impossibly strong. And mm-hmm. it, it seems like Wonder Woman is outmatched for a little bit. Yeah, and then um, while she's struggling, Steve manages to take control of the plane. In, and Steve uh, takes the plane into a safe altitude and detonates it, causing the plane to explode and um, causing the poison to release and killing himself but also saving millions of lives. And then when Diana sees this happen, she's overcome with rage and wants vengeance on on losing Steve, who she loved. And uh, Ares is trying to push her and direct this anger towards killing Dr. Maru, Dr. Poison. And she stops herself from doing it, realizing again that 
humanity is worth saving and it's what separates them humans in the and mankind from Ares and from evil and so then she uses this rage and anger and channels it towards Ares and eventually uses his lightning against him and and kills him for good which is so epic it's so cool to see the power that now she possesses and that she has realized yeah exactly it's a great great ending um it's, it's emotional and triumphant at the same time and she she is wonder woman fulfilled now yeah and the movie's a bookend because it opens up with her getting that metallic photo uh that she gets from Wayne Enterprises of her yeah. and, the, and the soldiers that was taking after they they sacked that German town and, and saved it from for the civilians. Mm-hmm. And then it ends with her sending an email to Bruce Wayne thanking him for the photographic plate of her and Steve. And so it's a, it's a great bookend. And the interesting thing about it is this entire movie is technically a memory. Yeah. I love how they're emailing. They're, like, they're on WhatsApp. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bruce, what up? They're Snapchatting. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a, a fantastic first film in the Wonder Woman franchise and it uh and rejuvenated the DCEU French uh the DCEU universe. They needed something like this because Aqu- Aquaman followed this up and I think because of Wonder Woman's success, Aquaman uh made a billion dollars. I think so too. Yeah. Fun facts. Fun facts. Let's do it. When the movie went back for reshoots, Gal Gadot was five months pregnant. The production team worked around it by putting a green fabric, essentially a green screen, on her pregnant belly, and this was later CGI'd out. Liam Hemsworth and Alexander Skarsgård were considered for the role of Steve Trevor, but I think Chris Pine uh, worked out really well for this role. Wonder Woman is banned in Lebanon because the star Gal Gadot is an Israeli citizen, and Lebanon is officially at war with Israel. In the entire film of Wonder Woman, no one ever refers to Diana as Wonder Woman, always as Diana. A role was also offered to Kate Blanchett, but she turned it down and took on the role of Hela in Thor Ragnarok. I think I'm sure she, she was offered. Antiope. Yeah, probably Antiope. Yeah. The scenes of Themyscira and Wonder Woman were shot in southern Italy on the Amalfi Coast, and the production designer, Aline Bonetto, said the location was perfect. Italy had beautiful weather, a beautiful blue-green sea, not too much tide, and not too much wave. Next up, we have Wonder Woman 1984. Written and directed by Patty Jenkins, co-written by Jeff Johns and David Callahan. This film was released Christmas Day, 2020. Uh, it was the first film to be released both on HBO Max and in theaters at the same time. The film stars Gal Gadot, Chris Pine, Kristen Wiig, Pedro Pascal, Robin Wright, and Connie Nielsen, and it had a budget of $200 million. Decades after she defeated Ares amidst the First World War, Diana Prince strives to lead an everyday existence as the Cold War sets the United States on edge. Diana indulges in the modern amenities of mid-1980s yet continues to mourn for her lost love, Steve Trevor. Yet when two new enemies, media mogul Maxwell Lord and Diana's former friend Barbara Ann Minerva, threaten to upset the balance of the world, it is up to Diana to restore peace. I had very high expectations for this movie because, I mean, we just spent 40 minutes talking so glowingly about the first Wonder Woman because I think it still is the best DCEU movie made post-Dark Knight trilogy. Um, But I don't think that this could hold up to the original movie in... It was a bit of a disappointment for me, to be honest. And we watched it on Christmas Day, and I was I was a little let down for sure. And obviously, it's not even it's not the worst DC movie in the in the universe yet. But I again, I expected much more after being completely blown away by the original Wonder Woman. I agree, and I don't I hate talking bad about movies, especially one that's like made by a woman, stars a woman, uh, produced by a woman. But I mean, I think that. This really missed the mark in terms of a follow-up to the fantastic original film. 
And I was just honestly very surprised with the direction they took with this film, considering how how great the first one was. And yes, there are some very good moments of the film, and uh, it is enter it can be entertaining and it can be fun and it can have good action. But but ultimately, uh, I, I was very confused by the choices and just disappointed by the story of the film as a whole. Yeah, the core theme of the film is greed. Which is an excellent and topic in truth. truth. Which is an excellent topic to make a, a movie about lies, greed, truth, and basically about the the entitled desires that people have in the modern world, and how they just want everything that they think they deserve or, or need. And the film takes place at the height of the Ronald Reagan era in America, in 1984. And I think I, I love the themes and I love the concept. And I just I, I just again was disappointed. I think just the script and the storyline we were. We're flash forward to 1984, where Diana Prince is now living in Washington D.C., um, ironically in the uh, Watergate building, I believe, <laughs> and um, she's working as an archaeologist at the Smithsonian, using her expertise and language skills to study ancient artifacts. And I see her kind of like these artifacts in the museums, where she's basically almost ageless and still pristine and beautiful and and strong, um, but still kind of not in lost in terms of not being in in the right time and not really being able to completely relate to people living in the real world still yeah i agree that's definitely uh, a, a character trait that she's dealing with and uh, in terms of of the film itself i think that when you watch a movie especially uh, a movie like a superhero movie or a science fiction movie um, with extravagant uh, fantastical elements the the filmmakers are asking you for a certain amount of suspension of disbelief to just go along with it it's a movie and and just just let it happen and accept whatever crazy things happening. But I think that in this film, um, there there's a, there are too many extremely unbelievable things happening that that my suspension of disbelief was just thrown out the window for most of the viewing of this movie. And um, I think that uh, this film uh, went so big in scope that the story itself couldn't handle the scope it it took on and the size it took on. And so. I think the story and the characters of the, of the film suffer because of the grand nature they were trying to uh, over to trying to portray of the story. Yeah, and I also they they took the most powerful woman on the planet and ended up making her for the almost the entire film pining for the loss of of her former lover Steve Trevor, who'd been dead for many decades, like seventy years. This guy had been dead, and obviously this is actually a lot. It's accurate to a lot of the Wonder Woman comics where she's oftentimes Wonder Woman is portrayed as lovesick for Steve Trevor. But it felt ingenuine to me and unfair to her character for what they accomplished with the first film to not give her like a very important and strong storyline of her own that had nothing to do with a man or nothing to do with lost love and just give Wonder Woman her own storyline that has nothing to do with Steve Trevor. I, I totally agree and I thought the same thing because I thought it was so strange because the first one was such a great tale of feminism and female independence and female empowerment. To go on the sequel and to make Diana still still feel like she's not a whole person without Steve Trevor, I think it just erased what they did with the first movie because I understand she loved him, but it's been 70 years and she needs to move on. And I think that she's such an amazing woman that it, it didn't make sense to me that she still can't find happiness or um, any or wholesomeness in her life without this man in it. And I, you can miss someone, 
but I think to not be able to move on is something that was a weakness with her character development in the story. Yeah, it, it kind of seems like they they love the rapport and relationship between Steve Trevor and Diane in the first film. And I'm sure audiences, they got a ton of great reactions to it, which I'm sure they... And then they probably thought, like, how do we get Steve Trevor back in the I Wonder, think Wonder, you're Wonder, right. universe, Wonder yeah. Woman universe? In which I think was a mistake. You know, he's dead. I think he should stay dead. And let's move on. Let's get some new characters. If you want a new love interest, let's do a new love interest if that's what you want to do. But also what they did was they took a character, again, named Wonder Woman. She's the main character of the film. She's the best, greatest, most powerful female superhero in the world. And they made her basically the secondary character in the film, yeah. in her own movie. It seemed more like Maxwell's film than hers. And she was kind of just reacting to constantly all of his actions, which, again, you do with supervillains and superheroes. But she kind of didn't have her own storyline that really didn't take effect. And I think they... They got back to what they wanted to do in the third act, but I think it was a little bit too 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 little, too late. I totally agree. I think if you add up the runtime, I I, I I think that Pedro Pascal as Max Lord has more screen time than than Gal Gadot does, which didn't make sense to me because as we were watching this movie and scene after scene after scene with Max, I'm like, is this a movie about Max Lord or is it a movie about Wonder Woman? So I was also taken aback by how much screen time this male villain had compared to Diana because I felt like they spent so much time fleshing out his character. His character was very well fleshed out, and Pedro Pascal, who plays the Mandalorian, is an excellent actor. Um, he's been blowing up the last few years, deservedly so. But I think that, like you said, this kind of turned into his movie over rather than hers. Well, his movie, and also Barbara, a.k.a. Cheetah, she gets a lot of solo screen time, too, which not that Kristen Wiig isn't actually really great in this movie. She's a, she's a really good actress outside she's, of I comedy. Was, she, she impressed me with this movie. I was waiting yeah. for her to get another big blockbuster film because I really liked her in The Martian, where she has nothing to do with comedy in that movie. And mm -hmm. then she, she knocked this role out of the park, I think. Yeah. And um, she gets a lot of solo time, too. And so maybe if it may not seem so much that Maxwell maybe have might not have more t time than Diana on camera, but maybe the combination of Max and Barbara's solo scenes yeah. takes away. That's probably more time than Wonder Woman's time on screen. Oh, it's absolutely more time, which is for nuts. Sure. Like, how yeah. is Wonder Woman not the most lead character in every in every act of the film? I totally agree. And I, I'm I, can you? I don't know if you can explain this for me. I was a little confused about how, because um, after the uh, opening mall action scene where she stops those robbers from from robbing the jewelry store. Um, with the artifacts in the back and and she succeeds and then it's on the news and I was just a little confused about how the news was portraying her as this unknown woman that it this is like the sixth time this strange unknown woman has stopped a stopped a crime or saved a person's life and I was just confused I was is she has she just started being a superhero again just now or has she been doing it for decades because it seemed like how could someone not recognize her as this person who's been saving people for decades? So I thought that too. Is, did she just start doing it again? I was no, very confused. They end Wonder Woman with her in her uniform, and she's like about to start saving yeah, the world. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so she's still Diana. She's and you know she's gonna sa keep saving the world. And you would think that yeah. like Wonder Woman had been around for for decades, and people had seen sightings of her too. That's what I expected to happen. Yeah. So I was very confused that no, first of all, no one in the mall recognized her, and then the media was portraying her as some mystery woman. And I just found that I was very confused by that. I was like, hasn't she been saving the saving people for seventy years now? Yeah, it seems like they made her dormant kind yeah. of for a while. Yeah. But um I think the movie starts off strong though with 
the opening back at Demacira. I really love this like Olympic game style contest, this race between the Amazonian woman um, and then young Diana, which I, I think it would have been better if they had like a teenage Diana rather than a childlike Diana. Yeah. Because she was at the same age in the original Wonder Woman and she didn't really have the superpowers yet. Yeah. And obviously she's unique and a god and she is more powerful than the other woman and will be at some point. But I think it would have just worked better uh, for her training montages to have her at least be like 13, 14 years old, a little older than like what, eight years old? Yeah, I think they, they cast the same actress that played young Diana in the first one. So I think that's why they cast her again for this film. But I agree. I, I pointed out to you when I understand that she's uh, the most exceptional uh, being on, on the island and she will grow to become more powerful than any other woman in, on the Amazon. But I, it was just it was hard to believe that this little tiny girl who has a stride of like a foot from her running like that she can run faster than these Amazonian women who are over six feet tall. She would have yeah. had to have looked like the kid in. She would have uh, had to in, look like Rebels. Yeah, she would have had to look like Jack or the Road Runner to be able to move to run faster than these women. So I think that it, for me, I was taken out of it. It was a cool scene. It's a great scene, and ultimately sets up one of the main themes of the movie, which is truth and the importance to live the truth and speak the truth. But I think that it was. It would have been better if they cast Diane to be like not like sixteen or seventeen because you're almost an adult, but to be like maybe 14, um, 13 years old, where she her body is large enough to be able to, like, un, uh, uh, believably compete with these women. Yeah, because, again, we're talking about the fiercest warriors on the planet, basically, yeah, with exactly. these Amazonian women. Yeah. And, and while I was watching this opening sequence, I thought that, you know, this is kind of the same thing with Steve Trevor, where they it was so successful in the first film that they wanted to bring it back maybe for the second film. And so this is kind of like a second origin story movie, which I think while I was watching, I'm like, this is really cool. And it's a great opening. Again, like you said, we're getting the opening themes of the film, lies versus truth. And obviously, Diana learning lessons and going through her training. But they probably didn't have to go back to the island. They, I think that it would have been better if they just had her in this new storyline that has nothing to do with her past. Well, I think... I think it would it would have been a good idea to go back to the island as Diana Prince, the adult. Okay, yeah. So I think in 1984, I think I would have liked to see her go back to the island to see the island and, and maybe there's a, a plot going on there or another character there. Um, that, I think, would have been real interesting to see rather than seeing her as a kid again. I understand what they were going for, but I think if you're going to go back to Themyscira, it would have been cool to see her after being Wonder Woman for so long to go back to visit uh, Themyscira for some reason in particular, maybe a plot reason. And kind of overall, for like the first two acts of this film, to me, it kind of felt like one of those like sci-fi movies from the 80s, like Back to the Future or Weird Science. And like <laughs> there isn't a ton of great Wonder Woman action and fight scenes until like really the end of the second act, third act, mm -hmm. not counting the intro. Yeah, so the, the film has the first set the first action scene is that mall scene when like I mentioned earlier where she stops the robbery and it's a cool scene um, great practical effects uh, great set design production design costuming fantastic but for me the action was just a little too cheesy compared to what we just Compa saw yeah, in Wonder Woman yeah. and Batman vs Superman that's what I'm talking about in terms of the tone shift from the first Wonder Woman to this one it felt very out of place and the mall scene when she's stopping these bandits was just very over the top. What's up with the guy holding the girl over yeah, the railing? Yeah, like one of the robbers just grabs a kid and holds her over the railing, and it's just... I think we were watching this with, with two other people. We're all like, why, why is that guy doing yeah, that? Yeah, like, why is she just running away? <laughs> and it was just uh, I was, it was just very confusing. And then, I mean, there's a cute part where she's, like, winking at that little girl she, she, she saved, but 
I don't it, for me the scene like it took me out of the movie because the first scene the first film the action is so great Patty Jenkins and the team did an amazing job portraying the action scenes but then to this scene is just a it felt like a different movie it felt like a different director it felt like a different uh, everything and so I, I was really taken out of it by the action until that um, open road action sequence like you said late in the second half and so the first half of this movie is mostly just uh uh, Maxwell on his own and we see his background and his story but also Barbara and Diana and Barbara is a is a is a interesting character and uh Kristen Wiig she she really surprised me I wasn't sure how she would do as a villain but I think she did a very good job with what she had because ultimately I think Barbara was um just like that fight scene a little over the top in terms of a character because uh, her plot with Diana, it felt very much like it was like a teen comedy from the 80s or a teen movie because she's like the unpopular girl nerd that no one likes. And like she's she drops her she drops paperwork all over the floor and her co-workers just walk past her and like glare at her. That would not happen. That would know, never what happen. What kind like, of work like, environment? I've, ever, yeah. I've never been anywhere like that. It was just it was just a very it was very like over the top. Like I like what coworkers like you're working shoulder to shoulder with these people. They wouldn't help you pick up your paperwork. It was just very strange scenes like that. And then uh, her, her and Diana meet, even though they work in the same museum for the first time. And then after they meet, they become they like spend the next like twenty minutes together, which was a little strange. And I just think the whole like, the whole character of like her being obs- like. Her character is a person who has obsessed and spent her life dedicated to history, archaeology, um, zoo, uh, animal studies. Multiple PhDs. Multiple PhDs. Very intelligent woman. Um, and obviously very career-driven and successful. She's working at the Smithsonian. So I think that Barbara, on paper, she's a, a great character and a great woman to have in a, in a leading role in a big movie like this. But I didn't I, – I was I completely flabbergasted that this person who spent her life dedicated to – these kind, these forms of um, these industries. She's obsessed with a, being popular, and she's obsessed with being loved and beautiful and admired by people. It, it seemed very out of place for the character because I don't see how a character who pursue who spends her life pursuing these passions to all to also be obsessed with being beautiful. You're right, and she, she, no, it's not being beautiful. She's obsessed with being cool. Yeah, being she cool and be, popular. She wants I to found be like Diana. Yeah, I just, I just, I couldn't believe it. And they forced this relationship of Diana and Barbara on us, like real hardcore forced it where yeah. like they like just bump into each other and she helps her pick up the papers and immediately like Barbara's like, obviously she's a very funny, quirky, awkward character, but like asking her for, to lunch within the second sentence she says to her and yeah. stuff like that. And then like they throw us into that lunch later and they're the early dinner and there we spend like 15 minutes that – they just make us have these two characters ha- hang out and have a relationship. And, and think, then again, later on when she yeah. saves her. And I think what they they did this because obviously they're going to become um, um, antagonist forces throughout the at, later on in the film. They're going to be enemies, so they I think they wanted to build a relationship before that. But I just didn't believe they were, I think it would have worked better if they were already friends. And it felt like an '80s high school film. And I didn't. I just didn't. I couldn't believe. Barbara's desires compared to who she was as a character. Yeah, it's just like the 80s films where you take the glasses off the girl yeah. and she's suddenly cool and hot. Yeah, and that's the thing because Kristen Wiig is a beautiful woman. And in this movie, her character is very funny and charming. And I, like what guy wouldn't want to date her and what person wouldn't want to be friends with her? You know what I mean? I think that they made like it's it just it was unbelievable that no one would want to be her friend and no man would ever want to date her. 
I just found that a little hard to believe because she has so many great qualities as Barbara. I just I just didn't believe it. One of my favorite parts of the movie, though, is Pedro Pascal as Max. And, and Pascal is a great actor. He was awesome in Game of Thrones. Um, he played like the, the Red Viper, the bi- bisexual prince, I yeah. think, in that movie, in the show. And then obviously the Mandalorian, which everyone is obsessed with, but he, we don't see his face, so we don't get the full acting performance we get from a normal character. But he's so good in this movie as Max, and I love the concept of this kind of villain where I think it could even be its own movie of this this person who takes like your genie, the, the genie situation where oh it's, you shouldn't just ask for three wishes, you should ask for a million wishes, and he kind of just makes the wish to become the genie or become the dreamstone. And I love the concept, and it's so cool to see it compound and get more powerful, more powerful, more out of control throughout the film and the storyline. And the thing with Max is I can't really think of another villain that I've empathized with more or felt more pity for because Max never wanted to become an evil person. He never wanted to hurt anybody because he grew up in complete poverty and abuse and all Max wants is to achieve success and he'll do anything to get it and it takes but it takes the entire film for him to realize and understand that everything he needed to be happy it wasn't money it wasn't success it was right there in front of him it was his son so I, I agree with you to a certain extent but I also disagree with you to a certain extent so I agree that he's a great character and fully fleshed out like we mentioned earlier because they spent so much time with him and you really understood him and empathized with him and his drive. He wasn't just trying to become evil. Once he started gaining power, he, he craved more power. So he once he was possessed by the power of the stone, he became worse. But ultimately, before he gains the power of the stone, he's just trying to become successful and provide a good life for him and his son. And because he comes from nothing, he wants to make something of himself. So that's it's the American dream, you know what I mean? And you can really relate to him. But I, I honestly disagree with you in terms of what his character ultimately became because I just was not a fan of the whole genie situation being the villain. I thought it was out of place for um, this franchise. It was it was too fantastical for me, uh, especially after the grittiness and the realism and the the drama that they conveyed in the first film. This felt like it felt like a different movie that wasn't even a Wonder Woman woman movie. It felt like. For me, it felt like it was a teen. It was a Disney. A t, it felt like a Disney TV movie or something. And ultimately, the reason why I don't like it is because the idea of the genie who grants these wishes to everyone in the world it wouldn't work because what what ends up happening towards the end of the film is that uh, chaos ensues because everyone's being granted these wishes and horrible things are happening across the world and then eventually nuclear war is among us and. Uh, nukes from every country are flying in the air, and that's the climax of the film. But you you have to take into effect that uh, there are a lot of really good people in the world. I think most people are very good, decent people. And I think if something like a genie who granting wishes happen, I think a lot of people would wish for very positive things to happen, like world peace or to stop these nukes from going off or to, to end poverty or I wish to end, end war or I wish to end... Uh, social inequality. I wish to end uh, economic social classes and 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 wealth gaps. So I think there are a lot of people. Most of the I think most of the wishes would have been positive wishes for the betterment of the of mankind. I think most people would have wished to end suffering in some way. Yes, a large portion of people would wish for their own things, 
to make their lives better. But I think there are so many people in the world that would try to wish for to make the world a better place that it would offset the wishes of everything else. So ultimately, uh, this wouldn't happen. I don't think it realistically would have happened where everything's horrible and would have collapsed. I think that um, it was it, like I said earlier, the movie got too big for the story to be able to control it. And that's what I mean by that, because if you have a character that can grant wishes to everyone, you have to factor in all the wishes aren't going to have negative effects. A lot of the wishes are going to have positive effects on the world. And so I think that's why they weren't able to really understand or control what the story was. And so they just went negative with it. That's a really great point. And then also to even compound on that, there'd be a lot of people that would be wishing for incredibly radical things like to be like a thousand feet tall or yeah. to like to yeah. have the have the have the ability to fly or superhuman strength so exactly. like that's you're yeah. right they it got so big in scope that they couldn't even like you said control all the possibilities of it if you wrote this script and you gave it to me and i read this i'd point out like i would point this out and be like this doesn't work because of this this and this like all this stuff could happen if you have a genie so you have to rework the story but i i don't think they did that with this movie because they they never addressed any of those things that could happen if you have a genie granting wishes. And then also, the second thing that I didn't like about it was at the end of the film, Diana convinces everyone to renounce their wishes, which I just found to be completely unbelievable. Like I said earlier, talking about suspension of disbelief with this movie, first having the genie character because of what we just talked about, then also having this moment where so millions and millions of people have gotten the thing they've desired most in the world and then convincing them to renounce it. Yeah, sure, plenty of people would maybe renounce their wish, but there are a lot of people out there that wouldn't. They would want to keep what they had, just like um, Barbara initially. And so I also found it incredibly hard to believe that everyone would renounce their wish. Yeah, just talk, how you were talking about how there are a lot of really good people in the world. There are still a good amount of evil, horrible people who, yeah, like you said, would selfishly keep their wish. Exactly. So once again, I think the concept was too extravagant to be able to properly articulate, articulate in a truthful way. So this is why I didn't like the whole genie concept because of like those two main reasons, which are very serious, conflicting problems to have that they just didn't address. One of the strengths of the film, though, for sure, is Hans Zimmer's score. And I know he said he was going to not do any more superhero movies, and then he took on um, X-Men. Uh, Dark the, Phoenix. Dark Phoenix, and then he signed on for this, obviously, and I think he's going to do another superhero movie. But I love his Wonder Woman score, and I know he did the theme yeah, he for did the, the original. Theme. Yeah. And he really used that incredibly strong Wonder Woman theme throughout the entire score and in different ways and subtle ways. And I think he knocked it out of the park. And there's actually this the very one of my favorite scenes in the film is when Diana is learning how to fly, and they hint at this oh, earlier yeah. in the movie, um, where she's talking to Steve Rogers in that jet, and she's like, I, "I understand a lot about you people, but I don't understand flying." And he's explaining to her how to how to feel it and how to just become a part of it. And this reminded me a lot of Man of Steel when Cal learns how to fly, and we knew it was coming eventually in the film, and I was excited for it and waiting for it. And it's a great scene where she's using her lasso to travel through the air uh, pulling off of the the flight of that plane mm -hmm. and she keeps going higher and higher and faster and faster and she learns to control the flight and it's amazing and it's, it's so epic and it looks great and they did a fantastic job visually uh however the music is actually from sunshine it's yeah. john murphy's adagio in d mm -hmm. um which is 
the main song in you've definitely heard it's the from main Sunshine. theme in yeah. Sunshine. Yeah. I'm sure you all it's, really, it's heard used it. a, a bunch of times in other movies. And I'm watching. I'm like, oh, this is a perfect song for this moment. But then I'm thinking at the same time, I'm like, you got Hans Zimmer. Why aren't you making him have a new song for this? Like, I yeah. understand maybe they didn't want to have him copy because they already did Superman flight song. But I don't understand why they they opted for a different composer when you have one of the best working. It could it could be two things. It could be that the filmmakers had this song in mind in particular when they wrote the movie and they were like, we're going to have this song and we need you to make music, um, your version of it, a cover for it. Or, or, you know, maybe Hans maybe suggested it. He's done stuff like that in the past. True. He could have suggested it, you know. Um, he's he used, he's used uh, cover songs in other movies, so it could be either one. I'm not sure, but I think it worked really well. Uh, and, no, yeah, I think it was yeah, my I, favorite scene in the movie. It's my probably. favorite scene in the movie. It looks fantastic, and I, I got goosebumps when Diana began flying. I thought, it, I thought it was a, a fantastic moment. Um, for the character, um, in two ways, in terms of uh, her powers and physicality, because she's uh, now uh, learned how to fly, and then also um, at this point in the movie, she has uh, finally let go of Steve and allowed her allowed him to die, uh, and accepted his death, um, and, and so renounced her wish, and renounced her wish, and that's important because again, hearkening back to the opening of the film where she was uh, being tirated by Antiope for cheating, basically. She was cheating by not renouncing her wish and leaving Steve there with her. And so she has to admit to the cheating, admit to lying to herself, and accept that and accept her truth. Yeah, accept the truth of Steve's death. And I I, I think that you're right in terms of – I think the whole plot of the story was came about because they were trying to figure out how to get Chris Pine back. I think you might be right. I think so, Because too. the only way to bring him back is, like, have someone make a wish and bring him back. I mean, that's – I'll accept the dream stone, but it was just when it turned when it turned into a genie. That's when I was like, "You lost me." But I think it would have been cool if everyone got one wish. I think that would have been fine. Yeah, I was actually really into it before he turned yeah. himself into a genie. I was but like, I "Oh, thought, this is interesting." But I thought it was cool. But it's also really telling of Max's character because again, he knows the dream stone. He's researched it. Um, he's found it. And instead of just making the wish where I wish I was successful, he says he wishes to become the dream stone, which yeah. is wild. Yeah. It was. I mean, it's a. I mean, it's a good idea by him. That, but that's when I was lost. That's when the movie went too over the top for me. I think if he made some kind of a certain wish to make him a super powerful villainous character, I would have gone behind that instead. Or maybe it might work better if they had Cheetah be the main villain in the, in the movie because yeah. Cheetah is actually uh, Diana and Wonder Woman's arch nemesis in the comics. Yeah, I agree. I think she, I thought she was gonna be a, a bigger villain in this film, and she she is a good in this film. Um, but ultimately. Their fight sequences are pretty underwhelming until the end. Yeah, like the the fight, the White House. I know Diane is losing her powers because she's getting more powerful because of the wish, and she's slowly becoming weaker and weaker. But I, they didn't really show it too much. They really yeah. just showed her having a couple moments of bleeding and and not being maybe as powerful. It or took maybe, me a it took me a while to understand what was happening. I, I, maybe what they should have done that would be better is to have her maybe completely lose her powers. That would have like been better, Spi like Spider Man uh, three two. Like Spider-Man 2, sorry. <laughs> I totally agree. I think that would have been great because doing something like that, so when you take a character and you put them in a situation they have no experience with, that's when a story can really take off for the better. So if you take Diana and take away her powers, how is she going to accomplish this mission? Because she's still technically Wonder Woman. Yeah. So if she if she becomes a mortal, she still has to carry out this, this film. So it would have been really cool. I thought the same thing, to see her lose her powers completely. And does it completely make sense that when you make a wish – you're losing some part of yourself. And so Barbara, since she wished to be like um, Wonder Woman and she was getting Wonder Woman's powers, she never renounced her wish. And so wouldn't Wonder Woman have kept losing her powers? 
instead of I think what they said was she renounced Wonder Woman renounced her wish of Steve no, no, Trevor. So, no, so she wasn't she wasn't taking Wonder Woman's powers. Don't that's the that's what was confusing. It took me a while to figure that out. So so Barbara wasn't wasn't like sucking the powers away from Diana. Oh, Diana was losing her powers so, because, because of her wish. Because of her wish for Steve. So because she wished to bring Steve back, she lost the most important part of herself, which is being Wonder Woman. And so and then Barbara, she was just getting the same powers. Because the script and the scenes make it seem like she's stealing that's, her powers. That's what I thought was going especially on, too. Especially in the warehouse scene yeah. with that guy, Frank. I honestly, I thought that's what was happening until until Diana renounced her wish and got her powers back. Then I'm like, oh, wait. So it was because of Trevor and not— gotcha. I, thought th I thought the same thing. I thought Barbara was getting stronger and Diana was getting weaker because they were, like, sharing the same, like, the life force and yeah. power. Yeah, that's what I but thought, But that's too. what was happening. And— I mean, I honestly, I I was very, I was underwhelmed by the final battle too. It was very CGI. I know she's a leopard, but like half the time they were swinging around on these on these telephone pole wires. It was dark too. It was very and dark. Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't like a battle. You know what I mean? And um, especially because she wished wished not to just be an apex predator, but to be that something that's never existed before and the most powerful being. Which technically wouldn't that be more powerful than, than Wonder Woman? Yeah, exactly. And so, and they didn't like fight. Because what happened was Barb Cheetah just like attacked um, Wonder Woman and she shielded up and she tore apart the shields and then then they started swinging on the on the telephone pull cords while Diana was on her whip and they were like swing fighting for like five minutes and it was just and then they fell in the water so it wasn't like a battle you know what I mean I was it wasn't what I was expecting because Wonder Woman in the whole film that might be like the only battle sequence she has there are a couple fight scenes but like in terms of what we saw in Wonder Woman just in the German town in the town that she frees exactly that is an epic fight I don't even think she threw a punch in the cheetah fight I don't think she maybe she might not have even thrown a punch in the entire movie I'm trying yeah. to think back yeah so I was it was it was a, I was confused by the fight I was like that was it oh okay and in terms of Chris Pine, I was happy to see him back, but and I, I thought it was interesting bringing him back to life, and I thought it was interesting the way they did it. It wasn't like he just reappeared and resurrected. He took the body of someone else. His soul took that body. I thought that I was like, oh, this is a this is interesting. How are they going to go from here? And but I was just surprised. I know they were going for comedy and going for laughs and playfulness, but I was just just shocked that like. They find this out and then they just like go have sex and then cuddle in the morning and like they're joking around and it's like it, it, I was just like taken aback by like their the the lack of seriousness in addressing what's happening because it was a very powerful moment when she first saw him at yeah. the party that was a really emotional scene but never they were never like what's happened she wasn't like what's happening how is this possible like what happened like what's going on they just like they just like went and went and did it you know what I mean and then. Then she was like, "Okay, let's. I need to figure out what's, why my dead boyfriend came back to life." And it, and it was it was funny. It was a funny line. It was a good joke. But I just I was just like, they're not taking this like very seriously. And also, I understand that she wants to keep Steve alive, but the, him being alive means that the guy whose body he took is gonna die, right? So I mean, I, she I think it doesn't it, fit with her compassion. Doesn't it does not fit with her character to allow someone else because Steve had had a life and he died. Why should this person lose their life because you love Steve? I understand that's the conflict, but it just didn't fit with Diana's character that we saw in the first movie, I think. So again, I think they chose a lot of very surprising um, directions and ideas and storylines for this movie that I just felt like they did not belong in the world that they established with the first movie. And I just felt like 
Um, it was ultimately a, a letdown as a sequel to such a fantastic original film. And then, well, yeah, and it ends with her using the lasso of truth on Max while he's communicating with the entire world at mm-hmm. that, like, satellite station. And um, it's basically she convinces the entire world to save the world, which is actually a really noble way to end a movie, I think. And it's really interesting, and we haven't really seen it done before. But, again, it does conflict with what we talked about earlier in the in the, in the the review. And um, Maxwell renounces his wish and returns to, again, reunite with his son. And we have avoid global nucle- thermonuclear war. And then I, I'm not a huge fan of how this movie ends where she's walking through, like, that outdoor mall area and it's snowing and it's Christmas. And it's a really beautiful-looking scene. But then, of course, she meets the guy whose body Steve was inhabiting. And, of course, was there no other man in the world for Diana? And, obviously, I'm, I'm glad that they didn't have it turn into anything. He just, like, walked away and said Merry Christmas. But still, I—, I I, they, we don't need a man in her life. She doesn't need a guy. Yeah, exactly. Because I understand what they were saying. Like, oh, there's plenty of fish in the sea ultimately. And that's what she's realizing that. But again, like you just said, it's like once again, when she sees this man, she's like, oh, I can be comp- – there's a man for me out there. And I just think that's not the direction they should be taking with the character. You know what I mean? And I Because Batman doesn't need a woman and yeah. Superman technically doesn't need a woman. They don't like show it too much. Yeah. But, but I mean – it, it is what it is, but... And I just think that that scene at the end, it just it felt like a Hallmark movie, honestly. Looked like one, I'm too. just going to be honest. I know I don't want to say this, but it felt like a Hallmark movie. Like, she's just standing, and there's snow falling, and then this super handsome guy just walks right next to her, and they have this cute conversation. Like, what is going on? This is not realistic at all. Again, the suspension of disbelief. It was just a, it's just a very unrealistic moment and situation and it just uh, once again took me out of the movie because, like I said before, the first one's a great movie, and this one it just felt like I don't know what they were going for with this, but the themes and ideas like Diana doesn't need a man. Diana is the most capable being on the planet. You know what I mean? She doesn't need a man in her life to be complete, and that's what the message should be. It should be not that oh, there's plenty of guys out there to date to be happy. It should be. Yeah, because this is what I, how I approach life personally is uh, you don't need another person to make yourself whole and happy, but you can find someone to enjoy life with and, and to find a partnership with to help maybe uh, add, add an improvement to your life, but you don't need a person to, to be happy. And, and you can be independent uh, on your own and live a fulfilling life. And there, the message in this film I took away was that Diana – is accepting uh, there's other men out there for her. And I just, I was very confused by that message at the end. Overall, it's a good movie. The visual effects are obviously great. Uh, the action sequence when we finally get to them are great. And again, it, it starts strong for me. It, it lingers a little too long for me later on. It seems like a three and a half hour long movie. Um, but again, it, and it ends strong for me. But I think for personally, it's a little too much, too little too late by the time it ends. Um, and I, I really hope they take a different direction with Wonder Woman 3 because as we just talked about for 45 minutes about Wonder Woman and how great that movie was and how important it was, I hope they, they, they realize wh- how the audiences are perceiving this movie because it is getting a lot of criticism. And it should because it could have been done a lot better and they could have taken a much better direction with her character. And I hope for Wonder Woman 3 they do, they do figure out the best direction for her. I agree, and there are, 
are, there are good moments to this movie, and Gal Gadot again is perfect as Diana Prince in Wonder Woman. She is like, born to play this role. The acting is fantastic, um, but and the production's a great. It's a great production, but like I like you just said, and like we've said before, it fell short of the original's greatness. And um, I think they need to do a course correct after this for the third film, and we'll see what happens. But I think there's still a lot of potential, and I think Gal Gadot. If she's given the right material, she can be a superstar. Hey, I'll be in the theaters to see number three, so I hope I hope they figure it out. Yeah. Gal Gadot was paid $10 million for Wonder Woman 1984, uh, 33 times more than the amount she made for the first Wonder Woman, which was 300000 Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 51 of Raiders of the Lost Podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, hit the notification bell, and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Become a patron and support us monthly. Head on over to patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast or use the link in the YouTube bio to become a patron of the show and support us monthly with awesome perks included. Thank you so much for tuning in. Take care, everyone.